When you become a, when you become a Christian, you, you get invited into a great romance, a great relationship. You get invited into a place of deep <coughs> connection and deep intimacy with the creator of the universe. It becomes your father, becomes your friend, becomes your companion, becomes the one who's never, you're never without him, he's always near. And I want to read us in Hebrews 11 about Enoch, who enjoyed that kind of relationship. And it says in chapter 11 and verse 5, By faith, Enoch was taken from this life, so that he did not experience death. Only two people can say that, Elijah and Enoch. He could not be found. I love that. He could not be found. It means someone was looking for him. <laughs> like he just disappeared. Enoch, it's time for dinner. Enoch, you're back late from the fields. No one could find him because God had taken him away. But before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And the writer then says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is and that he rewards. He's a rewarder. He's mm-hmm. generous to those who earnestly yeah. seek him. What a legacy this guy has. He, he, he doesn't say Enoch built anything. He doesn't say Enoch pioneered anything. That's not his legacy. He didn't invent anything. Enoch is famous because he simply pleased God. I mean, that is a goal. You know, sometimes you do these exercises. What would you like <coughs> on your tombstone? It's a bit morbid, but ple- pleased God. Amen. Wow. That, that, that your whole legacy was, I pleased God. That your whole life was summed up as his one who pleased God. Mm. And he pleased God by just two simple things. He didn't please God because he did great exploits necessarily. He didn't please God because he pioneered great missionary thrust into unknown people groups. He just pleased God by two really, really simple things. He believed that God absolutely exists. In the sense he believed who God says about himself. And that he believed that if he sought God, God is a rewarder of those who seek him. He believed that I'm going to seek God because he is who he says he is and I won't be jealous of anybody around me and what they have and what they don't have because I believe as I seek God, he's a generous rewarder of those who seek him. And the writer says, that is faith. Sometimes we think faith is I'm going to I'm going to pray for the sick on the streets. Yeah, that's a dimension of faith. Or faith is, 
I'm going to give loads of money away. Yeah, that's a dimension of faith. Or faith is I'm going to the mission fields. That's a dimension of faith. But when you boil faith down and say, what really is it? If I'm boiling this sauce right down to its basics, is I just absolutely believe he exists and he's a rewarder. And that God is really pleased with that simple trust. His God-pleasing led to an encounter with God. So he's living his life absolutely believing that God exists and that God's a rewarder and God breaks in and takes him away. That God breaks into his life and he completely skips death. I want, I'm, I'd like the Enoch anointing. <laughs> Jamie was just going along. And one day, around 120 years old, <laughs> he just disappeared. Skipped death completely. And it doesn't say Enoch had a vision for his life. I'm going to be somebody who one day walks along and disappears and goes with God. He wasn't like working for it, pressing in for it, dreaming about it in that sense, or imagining it. He simply lived life with a simple expectation. God is who he says he is. And he's a rewarder. Amen. See, the message translation says that Jesus says, I am easily pleased. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. I am easily pleased. That's who God is. And that we please God by simply banking on who God is and who he says he is. Actually, that's the criteria to measure our whole faith. Do I have faith? Well, am I banking on him? And do I reward? Do I believe that he is the rewarder? As I seek him earnestly, he's going to reward me because he is generous and he loves to reward people. See, Christianity becomes an absolutely miserable religion when it's focused on what we're like. It's utterly misery. Struggle should cause us to look upwards and not inwards. And it's misery when the whole thing is focused on us and our performance. Have I done enough? Did I pray enough? Prayer is good, but it's misery when you think it's about you and have I done enough? Did I read enough of the Bible? Did I share my faith with enough people? Have I done enough? Did I fast long enough? As Steve Backlund said, maybe God would have turned up if I hadn't eaten a marshmallow on day two. <laughs> Bible says that there's an accuser who accuses the brothers and sisters 24 hours a day. It's pretty much we can say from that, that's pretty much what he's doing as his main strategy to discourage the believer is accusation. You haven't done enough. You are not good enough. God would have met you if you'd read more. God would have answered a prayer if you'd have prayed a little longer. God would be pleased if only you had done more. Then we try and motivate ourselves through harsh, 
self-criticism. Got to be more. Got to try harder. Got to do more. So the life of faith isn't a self-improvement program. It's not. It's not that you came in and then you think, right now the rest of my life is clearing up my life. You come in and you're dead. (laughs) You, you, You get a resurrected life. You get a brand new life. It's not a self-improvement program. It's not, got to fix myself up to please God. Some people think that. God will be pleased when? God will be pleased when I improve. God will be pleased when I've got these disciplines or I've got this change in my life. When I've fixed myself. Jesus is the way. You don't need a way to the way. Jesus didn't say, I'm the way, the truth and the life, but there's another way to the way. And that's your work and your self-improvement and you trying harder. No, it's the way. He is the way. He is the life. Mm. You come directly to him. You don't come through your acts of obedience or your acts of faith. What pleases him is you simply believe him. See, the life of the Christian is a life of hope and joy and pleasure. Love what John Piper says. The life of faith is hedonism. The passionate pursuit of pleasure. We're meant to be pleasure seekers. Sometimes we're so preoccupied of can the believer do this and can the believer not do this and can the believer go here or not go there. Well, have you explored the vastness of what the believer can do and the vastness of the pleasures of God? And yet it's a narrow way to get in and then you find it goes, it's huge. Yeah, it's a narrow way. And then you're into the kingdom and it's this huge expanse of possibilities of pleasure and preoccupation with God's nature. Our calling is to put on display the excellencies of God. To display the, the very existence of who he is as being a people who absolutely believes that he exists and that he is the rewarder. That we put on display his excellence, his being and his beauty. See, God, God likes to co-labour with us and bring us into his great mission to change the world. He loves, he loves to do that. He loves to partner with people. He, he loves the co-labouring of sons and daughters with the king where he whispers, I want to heal that one. I want to speak life to that one. I want to bring resurrection hope to that one. Will you cross the chicken line and say something? He loves the partnering with him. He loves to draw us into a relationship of trust. But you know, he actually doesn't need us. He loves to work with us and he's chosen to do it with us. But he's not, in that sense, dependent upon us. And that's the kind of paradox of it. Jesus gives us a great commission to do it in us and through us, but he's not somehow restricted and dependent on us. He is the never-ending spring of life and love and energy and joy and beauty and goodness and comfort and peace and hope and protection and power. He is this never-ending spring. 
How do you glorify a never-ending spring of life and refreshment? Do you glorify it by carrying buckets to it and say, Oh, mighty great spring, I'm going to top you up with the efforts of bringing water from down in the valley and I'm going to carry it to you, spring. The spring says, No, I'm drawing from everlasting depths. I can't run out. I can't wear out. You're not topping me up. You glorify me through kneeling down and drinking and getting refreshed. Not through you labouring to somehow say, look at this bucket of water I brought you, mighty spring. This is my Bible reading, my effort, my religious activity, my acts of gritted teeth, faith and risk. I'm topping you up. No, we kneel down and say, I need you. You are the never-ending spring of life. I'm drawing on your life. I'm drawing on your love. I'm going to tap into your energy and your strength and your beauty and your goodness and your comfort and your peace. I'm drawing on you. It's a life of the believer. It's a life of hedonism and pleasure. We get to know the great I am. We get to know the invisible being And we get to commune and be friends and be connected and call him Papa, Daddy, Abba and draw near to him. That's the life. And then we show him off to the world by simply kneeling and drinking. That's that's our job description. We believe he exists and he is who he says he is and he's the rewarder. And we kneel down and drink and we show him off. It's simply trusting, it's simply believing, it's simply resting in who he says he is, he is. And that's how we show him off to the whole world. I trust that you are my healer because you are the healer. Come to him and say, you absolutely exist and you're the rewarder. This is who you are, you are the healer. I'm coming to you for healing. You're the comforter. You're the provider. So when we are in need and we need a breakthrough, whether it's a job, a house, a provision or money, we come believing that he exists and that he is the rewarder Mm. of those who seek him, that he is generous, that he's going to make a way where there is no way. He's going to provide. He's going to open something up. We believe that he is good all the time, that God does not have a mean streak. You will not find he has a mean streak. You will not find that he has any character flaws whatsoever. Sometimes we're so busy trying to keep the laws and the rules that we think if I make one mistake, then I'll find out that he is the mighty smiter. Hmm. That he's got a mean streak, that he's got flaws. He's just waiting for me to, to not do it all perfectly. And then he does, he'll reveal his angry side. He's not moody. He has no change in his nature. He's always faithful and good. Our primary calling is to feel at home and comfortable with him. All we're called to do, I'm at home and comfortable with God. And then the overflow, the overflow, the byproduct of this relationship is the unimaginable, unprecedented, unheard of breakthroughs of heaven. So Enoch is just comfortable with God. He enjoys God. 
And the overflow is the unprecedented thing. Somebody didn't die. Somebody got transported straight to heaven. Somebody just disappeared. And it was unprecedented. And it was just the overflow of a relationship with God. So the more you know and trust and depend and rest on God, the more God's existence and fullness will be wonderfully displayed in your life. I want to read you just to finish. I mentioned it on Friday night. One of my heroes is really Jonathan Edwards and Sarah Edwards. They were involved in leading a church in New England in 1741. During the great, they led a church there in the Great Awakening, Great Revival, Great Outpouring of God. And then they led another awakening, a great outpouring of God when Whitfield came. And there's a bit in the biography where Jonathan Edwards talks about the fact he's heard about Sarah Edwards. And Sarah Edwards is an amazing woman who had an amazing relationship with God. And... uh, I love the account of her in church once sliding off her chair, moved by the Holy Spirit. I just I love it in this really stiff New England church. Suddenly Sarah Edwards is on the floor. <laughs> and it says that Jonathan Edwards heard about Sarah Edwards. I'm just gonna, I'll, it's really old language, old English, but I just love the description of this lady's enjoyment of 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 the Trinity, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this is Jonathan Edwards talking about the fact he'd heard about Sarah Edwards. He says, They say there is a young lady in New Haven who is the beloved of that almighty being who made and rules the world. That there are certain seasons in which this great being, as God, in some way or other, invisible, comes to her and fills her mind with with exceeding sweet delight. And she hardly cares for anything except to meditate on him. And that she expects, after a while, to be received up to where he is to be raised up out of the world and caught up into heaven, being assured that he loves her too well to let her remain at a distance from him always. I believe, you know what, heaven can come to earth, not just on the point of death, but the point of there's ecstasies in God and pleasures in God that are available now, not just on the... And they would have said in old language, being taken to heaven after death. It's available now that heaven can come to earth, so we don't have to... And I'll skip down. It says, she is of a wonderful sweetness, calmness, and universal benevolence of mind. Hmm. Especially after those seasons in which this great God has manifested himself to her. She will sometimes go about from place to place, singing sweetly, and seems to to be always of joy and pleasure. And no one knows for what. (laughs) No one knows for what. Why are you so happy? 
What's going on with you? There's that old song, is it? What's the matter with you, my friend? Do you remember that old song? We used to sing it years. What's the matter with you, my friend? I've been saved, healed, Holy Ghost filled. I've got a new life. What's the matter with you? <laughs> she lives to be alone and to wander in the fields and on the mountains and seems to have someone invisible always conversing with her. Mm. That's the invitation. That's the invitation. That kind of depth and connection and intimacy and communion and relationship and friendship and being at home with, to use the language, the invisible being who is God. And we know him, you know, it's 200 something years later. They wouldn't have understood language of Papa, Abba, intimacy. God's restored those things and he's restoring those things to the church and to the bride. That he's a gloriously good father. Don't settle for a mere religion. Don't settle for some kind of hamster wheel where you're running around in circles thinking, I've never done enough, never done enough. Don't settle for some idea of a treadmill of faith. Settle for nothing else than, dare I say, the pleasures and the ecstasies and the enjoyment of being friends with God. He's going to ask us to stand. He's going to pray for us.